0: hand seems to be like the more affordable the most logical choice so i don't know where we're going to be one year down the line two years down the line or even five ten years in line so for now it's a great way to make money but with that being said i feel like as an entrepreneur you know once you got one business down you can kind of knock knock the businesses out one by one i mean I started off with one business now i'm operating five you know by 2021 i'm hoping that that goes from five to ten
1: Blake Ross, founder of Firefox. Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook. Steve Jobs, creator of Apple. Three young and successful entrepreneurs. People tend to see teens as angsty, rude, and irritable, when in reality, teens can be some of the most successful and creative people. Welcome to Now I'm Here podcast. This podcast aims to teach the younger generations that no matter your age, the possibility of success is within arm's reach. All you need is a little perseverance, and a strategic mindset like walt disney said all our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them dare to dream now to our host sydney jacobs hello everyone and welcome back to now i'm here podcast i'm your host sydney jacobs and today we have a very special guest from grail vintage harrison snyder harrison take it away
0: How's it going, everyone? Yeah, Harrison here, uh, aka Grail Vintage, and uh, yeah, I'm happy to be on the show, thank you for having me today.
1: So do you want to tell us a little bit about Grail Vintage to everyone who doesn't really know what you do?
0: Yeah, for sure. So, uh, Grail is basically a little project that I started back in my senior year of high school uh, when I was at Westmount, and uh, originally it wasn't intended to be anything crazy, Uh, I never thought it would be a business, it's just more so something that I kind of did just to make a couple extra dollars. And then slowly over time, I kind of realized that uh, there's definitely something in vintage. Uh, There's definitely money to be made in vintage. So I kind of built up my page. And uh, over the years, it's grown into something kind of crazy to the point where now we have a couple retail locations that I share with my business partners. Um, We have a vintage clothing show now. Uh, We have an online event that I run every single Saturday. So uh, it's definitely branched off into something a lot more than just a small little project that I started in high school.
1: And what is your education experience in regards to business and starting off your own company? Is there anything there?
0: Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Completely winging it. (laughs) Completely winging it. Aside from like my business class that I took with Miss Rosen at Westmount. Uh, Shout out to Miss Rosen if you're watching. (laughs) Um, And then obviously, you know, I've taken like a couple business courses, but nothing that would really help me to you know help with what I'm doing now and when I initially started in high school I mean I really had little experience doing this all so it's pretty much just been a big experiment and yeah it's, it's been it's been a wild ride.
1: So let's talk about from the beginning it all started when you're in grade 12 your senior year yeah. of high school what happened what pushed you to start it and where'd you get all of the clothing like where did it all start?
0: Yeah so uh, I was in I think it was a media writing class or something. Um, and I was with a couple of buddies and one of them just jokingly said, Oh, you should, you know, with all your vintage clothing, you can like start a business with it. And at the time I was kind of like, "Start a business. Okay. But like, how, how do I start? Where do I start? Right? So, I mean, I just, I was on Instagram and I was looking through my Instagram feed and came across a hashtag. I think it was like hashtag vintage Tommy Hill figure or something like that. And I just happened to tap on it. And upon doing so, I saw all these different posts and it was from different people, different Instagram pages that were selling on Instagram. And I was like, whoa, I I didn't realize you could actually use Instagram to sell. And just by seeing that it, it just opened my eyes completely and I saw a bunch of people locally doing the exact same thing. So from there, you know, I started my own Instagram page. I had a couple of vintage pieces lying around from my personal collection and uh, started selling. And uh, from there, it started networking with people in the community uh, buying from people, and uh my collection grew and grew and then i realized you know i needed to get more inventory somehow so initially i I began at small thrift stores you know going to valley village going to salvation army and back when i was doing it you know people laughed at me and uh you know people are going oh you're gonna sell someone's used clothing you know good luck with that no one's gonna do no one's gonna buy your shit like it's all garbage sorry am i allowed to swear on this yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um awesome uh but yeah like People didn't really think that what I was doing could ever amount to anything. And, uh, you know, I never really did it to impress anyone. But over time, people have gradually, I guess, begin to realize that there's definitely money to be made in this. And uh, vintage has definitely become um, an industry where it's kind of blowing up right now. So, yeah, that's pretty much how I started. And uh, from there, it just kind of snowballed.
1: When you get your clothing from a store, do you like restore it in any ways or do you just resell it exactly how it is?
0: So these days my sourcing process is a lot different than when I first started out because yeah when I first started out I was going to thrift stores and stuff like that but since then I've been able to establish connections and actually go into certain facilities that allow me to buy in bulk. Uh, usually I pay five dollars a pound so it ends up being like pretty pretty affordable for a lot of clothing uh, and that way I'm also not taking from anyone that needs thrift stores as a necessity. Um, because that does seem to be an ethical argument that people have these days, you know, Oh, you're going into thrift stores, you know, you're taking stuff from people that are actually shopping at thrift stores to, you know, out of necessity and you're going there and you're profiting. So I actually don't do that anymore. Uh, I go to places that, you know, the public doesn't have access to. So it's a lot more ethical, uh, and I'm putting in a lot of work to do that. Uh, so in terms of, you know, restocking and stuff like that, whenever I'm running low on stock, I go to my sources. Uh, I have people who source for me as well that I've hired. And uh, I'm able to get products like that.
1: So I, a lot of people watch videos on YouTube or TikTok of people buying in bulk and kind of going through it. Do you find that it's a gamble? Sometimes you get like really great stuff and sometimes you get such shitty product.
0: So the thing about the way I source is that um, the, one of the people that I've hired, they actually go and they, they go to these facilities to pick for me. And uh, I, I'm pretty clear with what I want. Uh, I have a you know pretty curated look on my page in terms of brands in terms of pieces so uh yeah it's not really randomized you know they they go out and they're buying specific items for me Uh, but it's more so when i'm actually going to these places uh, to pick you know you could be going through thousands of pieces of clothing because none of it's sorted none of it's curated so you're looking through thousands and thousands of pieces that are completely random uh not even vintage some of it a lot of it's just used clothing and out of those thousands of pieces i could walk away with like 20 to 30. So that, that's more of a gamble because it's all completely random. Uh, and they're being shipped in these big bales of clothing from, uh, different parts of the United States. So yeah, that, that part's a little bit more, uh, it's definitely a pain in the ass. So, you know, having someone to do that for me is awesome. Uh, and I mean, people don't realize that people think that I'm just going to thrift stores and I'm just picking off the racks and, you know, it's actually really not that easy. It's actually a lot of, uh, you know, going through a lot of different items just to sometimes get like a few good ones. So a lot of time and effort goes into it. Hence, you know, a lot of us have a higher price point for some of our items, but it's because it takes a lot of time to curate and source these products.
1: For sure. And how did you see the company grow over the years? When did you start adding other people to work for you and sourcing out so that it wasn't just yourself?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's been a long process for sure. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting my business partners. I'd say I think maybe over a year or two ago uh, I actually met one of my business partners by buying from them before I even got into the industry. So I started off as a customer, established a connection like that. And um, yeah, gra- it's it's been a four-year process. So I've been able to meet a lot of people along the way and you know, it, it's, it's been crazy. It's not just like happened overnight together. All of us, we've kind of gone to work together and all of us originally started off with our own little businesses kind of partnered together to start branching off into other things. But yeah, it's been quite a long process.
1: So when you talk about branching off into other things, Mm -hmm. you have this thing called the street market, right? That's
0: right. That's right. Do
1: you want to talk about that and how everyone comes together for that?
0: Yeah, for sure. So the street market, uh, TSM, that's a collective of five small companies. So myself and the other, uh, other group members who have their own little selling pages as well, Uh, we formed together actually during the grand opening of my, one of my business partner spaces. And we're kind of thinking like, what, what is something that we could do to set us apart? You know, we wanted a grand opening event that wasn't just a grand opening. So we figured, you know, we've always been about community. So we went, why not just bring a bunch of other businesses together? Uh, since we have a warehouse space, we figured let's get them all under one roof and let's start a vintage clothing show. So that's what Street Market is. Uh, it's a collective of a bunch of vendors, including ourselves, my team, uh, and we each have our own booths. And we invite people from the public to come in and shop with us. It, it's it's really cool because it's not just our own thing. We're, we're really bringing people from across Canada together. Uh, we've had vendors from Montreal. We've had vendors from Ottawa. Uh, we've had vendors from across the GTA and Toronto. Really, all across Canada, come to our location in Markham. And our upcoming events, uh, it's been a little bit tricky with COVID, but we've you know, figured out some loopholes to be able to do things safely and adhere to uh, the COVID measures. So we're actually going to be doing another event on December 5th and 6th at Scarborough Town Center, uh, where we just opened another location. So definitely looking forward to that.
1: So it's really about like building that community and that network. It's, it's networking with people that you can work with, networking that community of people that are going to come by from you, people that like are in the community of vintage clothing. And you guys like all work together. Mm-hmm. That's like the most important part for sure. And myths. When people think of vintage clothing, like are there special like items that are like more rare than others or, are, or is everything like equally rare that you like everything special mm-hmm. in its own way?
0: Yeah. So the great thing about vintage is that it's not just one particular thing um, that people focus on. There are actually so many different avenues you can go down in terms of what vintage is. You know, some people specialize in collecting vintage band t-shirts from the 1970s and 80s. And then you can have someone else who collects vintage Nike, like what I'm wearing right now. Um, it's so much because vintage is, is it's so broad. It's clothing, right? So vintage can be, well, usually like what the definition of vintage is, is 20 years and uh, above that. So once something hits 20 years, it's considered vintage. But like you have people collecting vintage Levi's from the 1950s. Um, and what I like to focus on particularly is vintage Nike. That's my specialty, but you know that doesn't mean I won't be selling some vintage Disney pieces, uh, vintage Levi's, vintage Carhartt, NASCAR, etc. Uh, it's really, really broad, so it's never just one particular thing that we're focusing on. Uh, it's just a curated selection of pretty much whatever people like. Uh, I try and sell what customers want as opposed to, you know, what, what I like, you know, just trying to put a bit of everything out there, so it's very broad.
1: And how do you mark up your prices? How do you decide what you're going to sell something at compared to what you purchase it at?
0: Yeah, yeah so usually, uh, I mean, first of all, qu- uh, the quality of the item. Uh, I look at the condition of it and if it's all beat up and if it's tattered, if there's stains on it, that might knock off some extra dollars. Um, But on the flip side, you know, sometimes people like their stuff beat up. So if it's a pair of jeans, for example, if it's a pair of Levi's, you can totally sell that for like the same price as you would a pair of regular uh, non-distressed Levi's. But then, for example, if I was selling a a fleece sweater like this or like a nylon windbreaker, people typically don't like to have holes in items like that. So if I were to come across an item that was damaged, uh, obviously I, I would either sell it for less or I wouldn't even sell at all. Like I just try to keep everything premium. I try to focus more so on things that are in really good condition. Um, And yeah, I mean, overall, it's just like, how old is the item? How hard to find is the item? Um, You know, what's the condition of the item? And based on those factors, I generally uh, come up with the pricing.
1: So your own closet, I'm sure you have a very large collection of vintage clothing. Oh yeah. Let's kind of dive into your closet and like, what are some of your favorite items? And what are some of the most rare items that you have in your own closet?
0: Okay, so that's a really good question. Um, I actually haven't gone shopping in a retail mall for like at least three years now with the exception of like footwear. Um, but yeah, I really, really like my Nike. So I have some vintage Nike pieces, like this one that I'm wearing right now too. This is like a late 90s Nike um, Nike fleece and um, definitely a, a personal favorite. I like the Nike fleeces and stuff like that because they're really well-built, um, really practical. Uh, I've been getting really into the vintage denims recently. So like the eighties Levi's, the nineties Levi's, that's all I wear. And like, you just can't beat a good pair of Levi's. In terms of like just my basics, even like my blanks and stuff, this is just like a blank vintage blank hoodie by a brand called Russell Athletic. So even like things like that, like non-branded stuff, I try and get sustainable, try to get it used because at the end of the day, I find the quality is really good. It's just like made to last. And in terms of, like, the rarest items that I have, like, I, I have a pretty extensive collection. I have some pieces from 1985, Air Jordan pieces. Those are very collectible these days because recently Netflix released a uh, documentary on Michael Jordan. And ever since that came out, just the value on those pieces have skyrocketed. For for example, I have a jacket, uh, 1985 Michael Jordan jacket that I have. Someone offered me, like, $900 US on it, and I declined it just because, like... Yeah, like there's I get a lot of crazy offers on some of the pieces that I have and wow. sometimes you just have to say no cuz you know that you're never going to come across it again. And recently as well, uh, yeah, I sold a Nike jacket from 1977 for I think it, uh, I think it was like 700 Canadian dollars and they also put in a couple of items that ended up being equal to around like 3 to 400 Canadian dollars too. So, I mean, like these are single pieces that I'm talking about, not like a boatload of items, like off of one t-shirt or one jacket, I can fetch anywhere up to like, you know, 700, 800 to, I think my record so far has been $1,100 off of one t-shirt. Wow. Yeah, there's definitely, as I said, money to be made in this, but you obviously have to know what to look for and you have to have the connections because you can't just be selling them to, you know, everyday people. You have to really have those connections um, and reach out to collectors ultimately.
1: So there, there has to have been downsides. You have to have failed at some point. There's no way that since the start, you've just been getting in a thousand dollars from selling pieces. Where were your failures? Like, where did you learn along the way?
0: Yeah. I mean, I fail every day, to be honest. Um, there's definitely things, I mean, I'm learning every day because, you know, when you think, you know, everything, something else pops up and you're like, Oh, whoa, I never knew that. Definitely. When I first started off, I made some rookie mistakes in terms of like finding items that were definitely rare and then underselling them. Like, I think, uh, we thrifted a polo sweater from 1988 and sold it for like a hundred dollars when in reality it should have been like three, $400. So, wow. but like, you know what you live and you learn. And at the end of the day, like we're processing so many pieces of clothing. I never try and get hung up on it. Cause it's like, okay, whatever, you know, maybe I miss out on $200 there, but I'll make it back on another, another item down the line. So, um, in terms of rookie mistakes, there's that, of course, like the way I've come to deal with my clients, like, you know, how to How to properly ship items out. Uh, I've definitely gotten scammed a couple times. Like, you know, I buy something from someone, then they block me on everything, and it's like, oh, shoot, I just lost $100, you know? So, yeah, not everyone's friendly in the industry. Like, people just try to scam me sometimes. So, you've got to be careful with that. Yeah, I mean, like, I've definitely lost money before, uh, made poor investments, been scammed, uh, undersold items, uh, you know, just uh, the list can go on and on, right? I mean, the life of a business owner. Uh, every day is a learning experience. And just when you think you know it all, I mean, you learn something new. So yeah, it's it's a long and extensive list, but yeah. <laughs> this started off as something that was more so a hobby. I never anticipated for it to become a business or anything like that. Um, and now it has become a business. So um, that's pretty awesome. In terms of it, it being a future endeavor, I'm not sure if I'm going to spend the rest of my life selling vintage clothing because I'm not sure how where that industry is heading, because this is we're definitely in a, in a boom right now where everyone wants vintage all of a sudden, you know, people realize that you can look pretty good for pretty cheap. And especially during these times where a lot of people are becoming unemployed or people are on a budget because they're on CERB, you know, vintage just seems to be the right or secondhand seems to be like the more affordable, the most logical choice. So I don't know where we're going to be one year down the line, two years down the line, or even five, 10 years in line. So for now, it's a great way to make money. But with that being said, I feel like as an entrepreneur, you know, once you got one business down, you can kind of knock, knock the businesses out one by one. I mean, I started off with one business. Now I'm operating five. You know, by 2021, I'm hoping that that goes from five to ten. Uh, and like, I just want to keep finding different sources of income because being an entrepreneur ultimately isn't about just sticking to one particular field of work. It's about being able to be creative and just finding money. Because money's all around you, like every day, you know, from the products that you use, from the clothing that you wear, from literally, if you look around, that's money. It's just about how can I find a way to take all that stuff around me and convert it into money in my pocket. So a lot of it's creativity. I definitely think that being an entrepreneur is going to be something that I'm going to carry on with me for the rest of my life. Uh, Vintage clothing. I don't know. I mean, if there's money to be made in vintage for the foreseeable future, then why not? Yeah, you know, right? Like I wouldn't mind doing it. It's it's a lot of fun.
1: The drive is definitely there for you. You definitely have the drive to succeed.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I I've worked so many part-time jobs and it I you know, I'm sure you've gone through the part-time job thing and you know, I'm sure everyone watching out there has gone through the part-time job thing or is going through the part-time job thing. And for me, it's just never been enough because, you know, you're working five, six hours, seven hours, eight hours, you're making a fixed rate. So that paycheck is guaranteed, but it's always gonna be that fixed amount, right? And it sucks because you don't really have control and they can lay you off whenever, you know? So it's not really a secure way of living, you know? It's almost like you're living on the edge all the time. And, you know, I guess the same can be said about entrepreneurship, but at least, you know, it's not like I only have one source of income. I have five right now. so. If one goes under, I got four more ways to get paid. Um, and, you know, you're constantly making money. So it, it's it's really good. It, it's definitely a sustainable way to live, I'd say.
1: I mean, a lot of people would debate that because entrepreneurship, you really never know what's going to happen. You're your own boss. There's nothing mm-hmm. guaranteed. But of course, once you've worked your way up now that you have five businesses, you have mm-hmm. five sources of income, you kind of have a bit more of that guaranteed. You're a bit more safe, like that you're mm-hmm. going to have something tomorrow to like live off of
0: like at the end of the day, making money is a risk, living life is a risk. You know, you have to take risks, but ultimately it's like, what risk are you willing to take and how far are you willing to go? You know, everyone has an ambition, but a lot of people, instead of going, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that I fulfill that ambition. People just go, Oh, well, this is a safe route. You know, this is a guaranteed source of income. So I'm going to go the safe route. And then you realize you've been stuck at the same job for like 20, 30 years you're still getting paid the same amount of money and like you're not advancing. So, I mean, obviously it's hard and running a business is not for everyone, but sometimes yet again, it's like, how far are you willing to go? How badly do you want to fulfill your ambitions? So that's just the question that I got for everyone out there.
1: And it's amazing. Like you're still in school, you're doing all of this still in school. You're so young. There's still so much ahead of you and you already, Mm -hmm. you know what you want. And The same way for myself. I know I don't want to be stuck working at a desk, working for someone else in the corporate world. And it's amazing Mm -hmm. that like young minds already know this. It's really changing the way that like the world works, that we can start our own things when we're so young and we can pursue that in our future Mm -hmm. and grow as we we learn with our education. So I want to take a break and play a game. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Called this or that. Vintage edition. Okay. So we'll start off with a brand champion and I will say Mm -hmm. another brand and you will either say You want to stick with champion or you want to go with the other one? Whichever one you stick with, we'll continue on to the next one. Perfect. All right. So, champion or vintage Adidas?
0: Champion by far. Champion.
1: (laughs) Okay. Champion or Lacoste? Yeah.
0: It's going to stick with champion.
1: Okay. I think you're going to switch for this one. Champion or Nike? I'm
0: going to have to go with Nike. Nike. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Nike or Carhartt?
0: That's so hard, yo. Ultimately, I'm going to have to say Nike. Nike.
1: Nike or Tommy Hilfiger. Nike. Nike or Levi's?
0: I'm going to say Levi's for this one.
1: We saw some posts on your Instagram the other day about Gap. So is Gap a pass or not?
0: Honestly, the thing about Gap is... Um, I definitely see a resurgence. I think it could definitely come uh, come back in a trend because Kanye West recently announced that he's going to be doing a collaboration with Gap. Um, so for me personally, I mean, I'm not really here to wear stuff because of the hype. Uh, it reminds me too much of like my early childhood years. So because of that, I'd probably have to say pass. But in terms of it being popular, definitely look out for Gap because uh, I think it's going to be pretty popular soon.
1: So we're sticking with Levi's
0: to stick with Levi's okay.
1: for that one, yeah. <laughs> Levi's or Guess? Levi's. Okay, and our last one is Levi's or Ralph Lauren?
0: Kind of have to stick with Levi's. Levi's
1: is the winner, okay.
0: Yep, can't go wrong with a pair of Levi's.
1: Can't go wrong with a pair of Levi's. It's interesting when you talk about your Michael Jordan stuff and you talk about the Gap stuff, it's kind of like you're almost talking about the stock market.
0: That's so funny that you say that.
1: When news comes out, prices go up. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting that like the clothing has to pertain to stuff like that. You really never know when the price is going to go up or when it can drop.
0: That's so true. Like, honestly, it's... do you
1: have any other pieces?
0: Yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, I just think it's so cool that you compared it to the stock market, because that's something that I always tell my friends and everyone looks at me crazy. They're like, how does clothing have anything to do with the stock market? But as you just said, it's, you know, as you would with stocks uh, and as you would with clothing, it's all about trend analysis and pattern recognition, right? Uh, where do you forecast a trend to go? Uh, where do you forecast a stock to go? It's all based on current events. So, yeah, uh, good point. Good point. For sure.
1: You sound exactly like a like a day trader or something. Keep an eye out for Gap. It's going to come back. Like mm-hmm. It's the exact same thing based on prices, trends. It's the exact same thing. So I want to come back to ethics, mm-hmm. fast fashion, and sustainability. Mm-hmm. So the vintage world has a lot to say about fast fashion. Mm -hmm. Uh, You say you haven't really been to a mall or retail store in a couple of Mm -hmm. years. How do you see fast fashion compared to vintage? Like where do you see the cutoff? And do you see that possibly vintage will take over from fast fashion? Mm. Is it possible that maybe uh, fast fashion will turn into a sort of vintage over the years to try to adapt?
0: It's a good question. I think that right now the problem with fast fashion is just that like it's so mass-produced and on top of it being mass-produced it's super expensive and the thing is people want to be different people don't want to be like everybody else and the appeal to vintage is that while yes a lot of this stuff like what i'm wearing right now nike it was definitely mass-produced so arguably is what i'm wearing fast fashion absolutely it's just vintage So with that being said, is it like 20 years down the line, is like my, I don't know, my H&M screen printed Justin Bieber collab t-shirt gonna be vintage? Absolutely. Are people gonna be wearing it? Probably because, you know, trend cycle. Like just like how right now, um, you know, we're in 2020 uh, and a lot of people find the 90s and 80s super appealing. And that's what our parents grew up with. And I mean, my parents are like, oh, you guys bringing that back? Like, oh, you're wearing acid wash? That's so tacky, that's gross. So, like, 20 years from now, um, or like, you know, however long it may be, when I see some kids wearing some One Direction shirt or some Justin Bieber shirt, I'm probably gonna throw up in my mouth. But it's gonna be vintage and it's gonna be cool because, like, trends cycle like that. So, in terms of it being trendy, probably, yeah. In terms of fast fashion being sustainable, like, do I see it lasting? Honestly, I I don't know. I feel like we're becoming very, very conscious about our environment, Um, especially politically recently. We're seeing a lot of um, politicians focus on climate change and doing things to kind of prevent us going further into this climate change catastrophe. Um, I think Trudeau announced today that by 2050, he wants to make some significant changes to the way we live in terms of, I think, even like getting rid of uh, emission vehicles. So if... If that's the case, you know, could vintage clothing, could secondhand clothing become even more mainstream? Definitely, I think so. Uh, If our focus is to stop um, being so wasteful, to stop polluting. um, I mean, we have so much clothing that's already out there. Why produce more when we can just use what we already have? So I think it it could definitely be a moneymaker for the foreseeable future, too. That's what I think. I could be completely wrong.
1: But then we come back to the ethics behind it. Um, let's say a lot of teenagers mm-hmm. who are into vintage can't afford your pieces per se. So they would go to Value Village mm-hmm. or a mm-hmm. thrift store. And then that comes into the whole conversation mm-hmm. of people who should be buying at thrift stores should be the ones needing the products, who can't afford to go to a normal store or can't afford to purchase from you per se. So where where do you see that line? Mm-hmm. If it becomes trendy, everyone's going to start buying up Value Village and there won't be anything left for people that need that clothing.
0: I actually completely disagree uh, just because like, Yeah, like, again, uh, there is that argument. Like, people have gotten angry at me before because they've accused me of going to thrift stores and taking away from the needy. So, I mean, like, first of all, I'm not doing that. Like, that is maybe where I started off four years ago, but I've since adapted my business. But with that being said, you know, we have so much clothing on the earth, we are never going to run out. Like, it's just not possible. We have enough clothing to last us probably till the end of humanity. Because, like, there's so much clothing that's produced and thrown out. Like, even if you go in a retail store now, All the clothing that you see that doesn't get sold is just going to be put into a landfill. And this isn't even like vintage clothing. This is brand new with tags, unworn, undamaged clothing that's just going straight into a landfill. So there's never going to be a lack of clothing. There's not going to be a clothing shortage. In terms of people going into thrift stores and, quote unquote, taking away from those who need it. I mean, chances are people who need clothing are not necessarily looking to find the curated vintage that people are going into thrift stores looking for. I mean, usually mainstream consumers who are going into thrift stores and they're that are looking to buy stuff, they're looking for very specific brand name items. So they're not really going in there. They're not going to take the entire rack and they're not shoving it into the shopping cart. They're going to go into the thrift store. They're going to spend an hour looking through every single rack and out of every single rack that they look through, they're lucky to find maybe one or two items that are good. So there's definitely no way that any one of us, and it doesn't matter how many hundreds of people are going into thrift stores and are looking for clothing, there's no way that we're going to deplete all the clothing and leave those who need it empty-handed. Because again, like there, there is, as you said, there's quite a bit of competition now. There's a lot of people going to thrift stores and a lot of people thrifting. And because of that, I mean, it's becoming harder and harder to find anything good, like brand brand named at thrift stores to begin with. So, I mean, I feel like because of that, it's going to be harder and harder for people to become a vintage reseller. So it's going to be at the end of the day, people who have connections, people have uh, ways to source. Those are the people who are going to have an advantage in the industry. And, uh, you know, I think because of that, I don't think the bubble is going to necessarily pop in terms of vintage, uh, becoming a vintage reseller since, I mean, you really do need to be connected to do this.
1: Yeah. So you talk about being connected, of course, your sources of how you get things and that brings in the five forces framework Mm -hmm. uh, that we talk about in business. Mm -hmm. And it's really like, it's difficult. You don't have that much of a threat to new entrants because new people can't really come in. It's, Mm -hmm. it's getting harder and harder for them to get good clothing that people want. And they don't have those connections. Whereas people like Mm -hmm. you who already have the market share have those connections and are already able to flip things and, and to do what you do. Uh,
0: Let me, I mean, let me just try and rephrase that because ultimately I think if you're just coming into the industry, like one day you go, oh, I want to do exactly what this guy's doing. I'm going to start a business. Most people don't have the patience to wait it out and find the connections and start a business. A lot of people just go, oh, I'm going to go thrifting. I'm going to go find some cool stuff. And like, that's a misconception. You're not going to go into a thrift store. You're not going to leave with like 10 bags of clothing like you would have four years ago. Cause again, it's very oversaturated. So if that's your mindset, then yeah, definitely. You're not going to make it. But for someone who's genuinely interested in following through with running a business, Uh, and they network with people, I mean, you're going to be able to find clothing. It's not impossible. It's just, it's harder than it used to be. So, I mean, my business partners and I, we offer wholesale. I offer wholesale as well. So to any new sellers who contact me, I'm able to offer them uh, pretty good prices and sell them um, clothing to them in bulk. So it's not like I'm monopolizing the industry in any which way because there's so many other people doing this. Um, And as a matter of fact, I actually love to help people in the community, like new sellers come to me all the time asking, like, how do I get started? Like, where do I go to source? Uh, And it's my pleasure to provide them with wholesale and get them on their feet, because at one point I had zero connections myself. And, you know, I've been able to work myself up to this point. So, I mean, yeah, ultimately, just like any industry, there is competition and there are people who have been doing it a lot longer than me, too. Uh, It's just about who's willing to really ride it out and who's willing to stay committed versus who's gonna realize, oh, it's not as easy as going into a thrift store, finding like 50 items, selling it and becoming shit rich overnight, right? Just as it's the same case with any industry really.
1: For sure. What would be like some tips you have to people mm-hmm. starting off if they're listening and they're interested in starting off their own vintage clothing store? Hmm. First of
0: all, just like, just be consistent. You have to be consistent. Uh, and if you're not busting your ass every day, you're not going to make it. I'm sorry. I just And like, it sucks. It sounds rude. It sounds mean, but you're not. And that's the case with anything. If you're not in it and you don't mean it, you're not working with intention. You're not going to make it, you know, contrary to popular belief, it's not necessarily easy money. I mean, I make it sound super easy when I go, oh, I sold a t-shirt for $1,100. Uh, but then again, it's taken me a long time to get to that uh, process of being able to sell a t-shirt for $1,100 be consistent and ultimately network, always network, connect with people in the community. Don't be afraid to take advice from people. Also with that being said, do your own research, like really take time to look at everyone's page, see what's popular and, you know, talk again, talk to people and see how they source, see if anyone's offering wholesale and go from there. Really Uh, just build from the ground up. Don't give up, it's super corny, but seriously don't give up because even to this day, four years later, there's some days where I'm just like, I want to quit, you know, it's not working out for me. And, you know, I, I post an, a bunch of items for sale and it's like, Oh, only one item sold today. How am I going to ever, uh, I you know. I'm not going to make, I'm not gonna be able to pay off my bills. Uh, and then like next day stuff sells. I'm like, ah, uh, I was, I just got in a mood. So yeah, it's going to suck, especially if you're an entrepreneur. Cause like, it's not like you got that guaranteed pay, uh, paycheck. You really have to, as I said, bust your ass, go out there and make your own money. So, Gotta stay committed.
1: Who would you say are some good people to follow after? Look at their pages.
0: Definitely um, to plug my business partners because I mean these guys are the ones that put me on in the first place and mentored me. Uh, follow Clarendon Co on Instagram at Clarendon Co. Um, they're great. John Allen Collette are the owners of that business and they really mentored me uh, and taught me pretty much a lot of what I know. And I'm very fortunate to be working with them as business partners because you know I actually way back when bought from them as a customer and over the years been connecting with them more, got closer with them. And now, you know, we work together every single day. So follow them because they're my mentors, they're my business partners, and they've really taught me so much. Um, I want to also just give a quick shout out to my other business partners and friends, um, Northside vintage on Instagram, Northside vintage underscore um, Belgrave vintage. So at Belgrave dot vintage. And lastly, the thrifting nurse, uh, the.thrifting.nurse. Um, so go check them out. They're my business partners and they're all amazing people. And they'd definitely be willing to help anyone out for sure.
1: sure. And maybe one day, one of them will become any of the listeners' mentors the same way that you have a mentor that you're now plugging in right now that you work with. So that's really great that it's goes mm-hmm. full circle. It's really great to see.
0: It really does. It absolutely does. Yeah. With
1: that, I think we'll, we'll call it an end. That was a great discussion. Thank you so awesome. much for coming on to Now on yeah, Here. Yeah, thank you. Once again, this is Harrison from grail.vintage on Instagram. You can go check him out. He has some really great pieces. He's really made a great Instagram and a really great media presence by not only selling, uh, posting his pictures his items he has news articles and he has other vintage things up there just to go take a look at it's it's a really aesthetically pleasing page if i'm being honest
0: thank you thank you
1: once again thank you so much for listening thank you for coming harrison and thanks so much for listening to episode number four of now i'm here podcast have a great day everyone